0: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Coach Tony Richards. And boy, we are in the middle of winter time. I mean, it went from a moderate 35 to 40 degree Christmas time to 5, 6, 10 below zero with wind chills minus 25. I mean, it's cold here. Thank you for listening in on the C-Suite Radio Network. And this is the Better Than Before show. Coming up today, is inflation here in the United States really under control? I've got a quote that I'm pondering this week, and it's specific to this week. What I'm watching on television, three big ideas from me, and today my special guest will be Rachel Lowndes. She is an imposter syndrome expert, and we're going to talk about in our conversation today how it can affect the mindset of those that experience it, And what can be done about it all today here on this episode of better than before well last thursday the federal reserve came out and it's pretty obvious they don't have inflation under control the talking heads and the financial pundits are all talking about rate cuts for interest rates this year and i just don't know that the fed will get ahead of itself too much we've got a meeting coming up the fed's next meeting is coming up at the end of this month on January 30th and 31st. On the 31st, they'll announce what they plan to do with cuts. I don't know that they'll do anything with them at all this month, but the prevailing attitude and belief is that they'll begin cutting rates at the next meeting in March. But the consumer price index, the CPI, came in at 3.4% last Thursday, and that's hotter than they thought it would be. And so it'll be interesting to see how much data we get in between now and March and how that affects rates. You can't rule out the reality that this is an election year, also. And for all those who say, well, the Federal Reserve is not supposed to be political, it's not supposed to be connected to any, you know, well, right, you can't believe that. I mean, whoever the sitting president is is the one who puts that person in their job they're also the person that fires that person in their job and to think that that doesn't affect things is quite naive i think there's a newsletter that i get also a financial newsletter called the kobasi newsletter and i repost their x posts quite a bit on my x account here's some numbers for just customers basic necessities if you think inflation is under control, the number one highest thing in the customer realm is car insurance inflation, which is up 20.3%. Transportation inflation is up 10.1%. Car repair inflation is up 7.1%. Rent I live in a college town here in the Midwestern United States, here in Columbia, Missouri, home of the Missouri Tigers, where almost 60% of the population rents rather than owns, and rent inflation is up 6.5%. Homeowner inflation, the things you need to do to keep that home going, repairs and maintenance and such, 6.3%. Hospital services are up 5.5%. And finally, food away from home is up 5.2%. So things that you may or may not think of, I'm sure when you go and you see the price tag on some of these things, you're pretty aware inflation may not be under control and going back the other way quite yet. All right, so Martin Luther King's holiday was yesterday yesterday. It is something we celebrate on the federal calendar every single year now, one of the most impactful Americans to ever live. The quote I'm pondering this week is by Dr. King. He said, hate is just as injurious to the hater as it is to the hated. Like an unchecked cancer, hate corrodes the personality and eats away its vital unity. Many of our inner conflicts are rooted in hate. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Thank God there was a Martin Luther King Jr. He was here alive and his influence is still being felt today. I was a little boy when Dr. King was assassinated. And one of the terrible tragedies of 1968 here in America. But uh, I hope you'll take that quote into consideration this week. Just as I am. Boy, we had the big freeze game in Kansas City, Missouri this past weekend. I mean, the NFL football was just full of surprises. The Packers just owned the Cowboys. And just a tremendous game between the Lions and the Rams. And I still have a certain amount of affinity and loyalty to the Rams. A guy who's from here in Columbia, Missouri, is the primary owner of the L.A. Rams. They were in St. Louis for a good amount of time and won a Super Bowl while they were in St. Louis in 2000. And so that was a game that I was kind of conflicted in. I wanted to see Detroit win their first playoff game since 1991 and also kind of still had a little loyalty to the Rams, but what a game, 24-23. The Lions and their city are super happy winning that game. But the Chiefs... Handle the Dolphins. I mean, it has been cold here, like I said, when we opened the show. I mean, we've had minus 5 and 6 and 10 degrees here with wind chills minus 20 and above. If you watched that game this weekend, you had a little glimpse into what the weather is like here as the Chiefs eliminated the Dolphins. And now the Chiefs will move on in the NFL playoffs. This time of year, I mean, I'm... Pretty much fixated on NFL football. I love this weekend, this past weekend, the wild card weekend's a great weekend for NFL football. And, you know, SEC basketball is, of course, on my television a lot this time of year. Kentucky lost to Texas A&M in an overtime game down at College Station, in which they should have lost. The Wildcats should have lost. It was very fortunate to go to overtime, actually with a questionable call on the Aggies there at the end of an offensive foul. And Rob Dillingham scoring nine points in 15 seconds for the Wildcats. Just kind of crazy. But just Kentucky's freshmen, the youth really showed through in the overtime. I mean, the things that they did at the end of the Florida game sort of put me on alert for the things that they possibly will do when the game's on the line. They fouled three times in a row when they had the Florida game won with less than 20 seconds left in the game. And then I started thinking, man, are these the kind of decisions we're going to make when the game's on the line and it's coming down in the final minute? And then in the A&M game, I mean, it just really, really showed that they got a lot of growing up to do. They got a lot of improvement to – I mean, for everybody who was saying, yeah, Tony, but man – you ought to be okay with it because last couple of years, we'd have lost that game no problem. Well, that game could have gone either way, and it did. In a and it went the other way. And so we got to get better on defense. We got to get better in our thought process. Our rebounding positioning is just terrible, and we got to do a better job being in the, a better place for rebounds, not just getting the rebound, but just being in a place to get the rebound has got to get a whole lot better. We're going to lose a couple more games in the SEC. I mean, I never considered that Kentucky would go through the SEC undefeated. I mean, even as good a team as this is, and considerably better than we've been the last couple of years still. For those people who wanted them to play four out and five out for the last several years, that's what they're doing. And they're a great offensive team, but... They don't have the, not yet anyway, even with two seven-footers on the team, they still can't throw the ball to the middle of the floor or in the paint and get a basket when they need it. Aaron Bradshaw and Ugana uh, Oienso both are not guaranteed buckets when you need to throw the ball inside. Trey Mitchell is not an automatic bucket. I mean, it's like the amount of one and two-footers we miss is just amazing. It's either shoot a three or shoot a mid-range or nothing. And then our defense has got to get a whole lot better. I mean, up in the top three in Ken Palm in offense and in the bottom 50, toward 50, probably 46, 47, something like that, I haven't checked today. But somewhere around that in defensive efficiency, but we've got to get a lot better. So when I'm watching SEC basketball and NFL football this time of year. That's what I'm watching. And so I'm excited the Chiefs will move on, and we'll get to play another weekend of football with the Chiefs. Three big ideas from me this week. Number one, rebound after missing one. Whatever it is, workout, sales call, meeting, just not after 10 days of nothing. Don't let one mistake become two. So if you miss a workout, if you mess up a meal, you're on a, weight loss program or diet program here at the beginning of the year. And you mess up a meal, don't mess up two, don't mess up three. Don't let that negative, whatever, if you were supposed to make sales calls yesterday and you didn't make any make 20 today, I mean, you got to rebound strong, you can't let the mess up go on a run or a streak. Number two, big idea from me this week, the trajectory of your life, your career and your business always bends in the direction of your habits. So whatever your habits are, whether they're good or whether they're negative, that is the trajectory of your life, your career, and your business is going to go. It's going to go in the direction of the things that you habitually do or the things you habitually don't do. So keep that in mind. And then big idea number three goes back to the concept of big idea number one, Repair a relationship the next day, not after 10 years, right? So if something goes wrong in a relationship, try to repair it as soon as possible. Don't let a week, a month, six months, a year, five years, 10 years go by without repairing it. Don't let the other person, let's say it's not your fault that whatever happened happened. Don't let that other person change you. You got to keep yourself intact. The other person gets mad at you, cusses you out. Don't let them change you into a person who gets mad and cusses them out, right? So don't get mad and cuss them back. Keep your own whatever it is you are. Keep that intact and don't allow other people to change you in a negative way. All right, let's get to our special guest today. Rachel Lowndes is here in Sydney, Australia. Rachel Lowndes is the founder and CEO of Rachel Lowndes Coaching. She is a confidence coach, career strategist, podcast host, and an imposter syndrome expert. She works with people to overcome self-doubt and imposter syndrome to reach their career and personal goals. She's an associate of the Imposter Syndrome Institute, the world's number one source of imposter syndrome solutions, and she's licensed to deliver the Rethinking Imposter Syndrome program. It's her mission to help professional women bridge the confidence gap, and excel professionally and personally. She has over 25 years experience working in advertising and has always had a deep interest in human behavior and positive psychology. After quitting her job in advertising in 2019, she retrained to become a coach and focus on the very real but detrimental consequences of imposter syndrome on female success. She trained with Australian Institute of Professional Coaching, gaining a life coaching diploma in June of 2020. She has a BA in English from Lancaster University in England, studied Introduction to Psychology at McNash University, and has studied with the world's leading expert in imposter syndrome, Dr. Valerie Young, at the Imposter Syndrome Institute. She is a co-host also of the Leading Ladies Who Lunch podcast. That launched in January 2024, so it's brand new, featuring insightful discussion and actionable strategies to help women navigate corporate life and their leadership journey, and I bet us men could learn some things from it, too. Rachel loves helping her clients to connect with their potential so that they can get the recognition, pay raises yes, and promotions, yes, that they deserve without burning out. She does this through one-on-one coaching and through group coaching and through interactive workshops. She is a smart cookie, and she's here (laughs) joining us today to tell us everything we ever wanted to know about imposter syndrome. Rachel, she is also, by the way, I should tell you, she is joining us from Sydney, Australia, right?
1: Indeed I am Tony yeah, it's a hot,
0: and, and I was just telling <laughs> I was just telling Rachel that it's like 25 or 20 degrees here and it's going to be minus 9 this weekend and where Rachel is in Australia it is burning hot so yeah. we ought to find where the middle is somewhere between <laughs> here and Australia right
1: <laughs> yeah
0: well we can find the 65 or 70 degree Uh, Isn't
1: that Los Angeles, L.A.? More
0: like San Diego, I think. Right. San Diego's (laughs) 75 all the time, they say. I've never, I had a client in San Diego once, and it was never, never bad weather when I was there. It was always wonderful.
1: Well, there's an ad agency that started in L.A. called 72 and Sunny, and that's because it's always 72 and Sunny in L.A. I see.
0: Well, there you go. (laughs) California is the place you ought to be. Hey, yeah. so how are you today? How were your holidays?
1: They were great, thank you. I was yeah. I was mostly in Sydney. And my family lives in the UK, so right. I I didn't obviously see them. But I spent it in Sydney. I've got friends here, and I have a goddaughter, so I spent it with her. It was great. Nice. How was- That's nice. Well,
0: it was great. You know, last year, right before the holidays, we lost my dad, and I was sick and couldn't go home. So this was kind of a nice holiday for us this year. We had all the family there and we had nice holidays. All (laughs) right. So I know I read in your bio, you left the advertising business five years ago or so, and then you decided to help women with imposter syndrome and confidence issues and such. What was the catalyst that made you want to do that?
1: Well, in 2019, when I left my advertising career, I didn't leave them in very good circumstances. I was actually working at an agency that was quite toxic and I didn't have a great experience. Prior to that, I had been looking into positive psychology, you know, something I could study, knowing that I wanted something different. And so when I did eventually leave that agency and I got asked to leave because I got made redundant and kind of forced out and then of course COVID hit so I had to find something to do with myself and I thought oh, what a perfect opportunity for me to you know look at a new career kind of find something else for myself and I landed on coaching because I'd always had an interest in positive psychology. I think what I discovered in that process though was that imposter syndrome was something that I then really experienced through the whole process of starting a business, putting myself out there. And it's not something that I hadn't experienced before. I just hadn't noticed how pervasive it was or just how strong those feelings and that experience can be. So then I thought, well, okay, surely I'm not the only person who feels this way. There must be a lot of other people who feel this. So I went deep on that topic. I went into researching it, looking into the different avenues and ways and under- trying to understand it as best I could. And then I discovered Dr. Valerie Young online. I kind of stalked her a little bit online mm-hmm. and eventually I read her book, which is The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. And I think she's actually adapted it now so that it's a bit more open to men and women because obviously it isn't just women who experience imposter syndrome. Everybody experiences imposter syndrome at some point or another. Yeah. Yeah. And then I connected with her and discovered that she had this training for her solution, which is Rethinking Imposter Syndrome. I really wanted to be accepted onto that training. I thought, there's no way she's going to accept me. I don't have enough experience as a coach. I've never been a speaker. I've never done any presenting. But she did accept me because... Are these all
0: the things imposter syndrome would be (laughs) saying to you?
1: Oh, 100%. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, so it's, it's super interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, imposter syndrome really does kind of raise its head, and we may not even notice that that's what we're experiencing. It's these kind of pervasive negative thoughts of I'm not good enough, I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, I can't do this. It's kind of telling yourself that I don't deserve to be here, I shouldn't be here. It's experienced by a lot of people, I'm sure. People listening can say, oh, yeah, I felt that at some point.
0: Is there any kind of data out there that tells us how many people experience it, particularly women in the workspace?
1: Yeah, the, I mean, the I don't know exactly know where this has come from, but the well-known, well-documented percentage is that 70% of people will experience it at one time or another. Now, we just going to have to be super clear that Imposter syndrome isn't something we feel 24-7, right? It's not something that we go around feeling all the time because it's very specific to achievement arenas like career, job, business, performance, that kind of thing. You'll find a lot of actors actually talk about having imposter syndrome themselves. Meryl Streep's even talked about it. Michelle Pfeiffer, they have talked about their experiences with imposter syndrome, even Tom Hanks. One of the most well-known celebrities, if you like, or public figures that's talked about having imposter syndrome is Michelle Obama. So, you know, it's not just isolated to people like you and I, the normal people, if you like. It's
0: not like having the flu where you feel bad with the flu all day and then you eventually get past it. It comes and like it's a response to a trigger, right? Yes. Yeah. So you have a trigger like I'm an actor like Meryl Streep and all of a sudden, no matter how much experience or success I've had in the past, I get this new role and Mm -hmm. this new role that I am studying for triggers me into this feeling that I'm not good enough for this role, right?
1: Exactly right. So, I mean, other triggers, other common triggers would be going into a job interview, being about to do a presentation, perhaps you're going into a meeting room with a lot of senior people and then potentially you might get asked a question. And so then you're internalized feelings are, Oh my gosh, what if I get asked a question? I don't know the answer or I say something and people think that I'm stupid or I'm not smart and therefore I shouldn't be here. And so that's kind of how those specific different triggers can work.
0: Are there other physical effects besides just self-talk voice? Are there Uh, other physical things that happen to you when you experience it?
1: Well, I mean, Let's just be super clear that imposter syndrome isn't a syndrome at all. It's a phenomenon. So it's not a psychological disorder. It is literally a belief system. So in terms of physical effects, I mean, when people go to speak, generally a physical effect might be sweaty palms, racing heart, dry throat. Those kind of physical effects may occur but it's not a syndrome. You're not broken. You don't need medication to fix mm. you. It is a mindset.
0: So we really should be calling it imposter system.
1: Well, it's imposter phenomenon is actually the original and, you know, the term in terms of the people who actually discovered it, which were two psychologists, Pauline Clance and Susanne Imes in 1978. They named it, labeled it imposter phenomenon. It's been kind of bastardized over the years by people because I think it's easier for people to call it a syndrome rather than a phenomenon. So that's the kind of language that's out there in the wild. But the actual term is imposter phenomenon.
0: I think, though, that it really registered with me when you said belief system, because Mm. I can see where that made a connection to me. It clicked with me then. So I could see where imposter system would come out of your beliefs that you have recorded over the years as you were becoming Mm -hmm. grown i mean as you were from the time you were a kid right until i mean it all counts right
1: oh totally and i mean family messages and expectations do play a very large role in perpetuating imposter syndrome or contributing to your imposter feelings later in life so these things happen because Your parents, your teachers and all that kind of thing, they want the very best for you. But the messages that you might be receiving and therefore taking on and taking forward may not always be helpful. So, for example, you know, maybe you were the kid at school who got four A's and one B. And then you came home with that report card and your parents' response was, what's that B doing there? They obviously want the best for you. They want you to get the A. But the way you internalize that response is Well, in order for me to feel validated and affirmed by my parents, I need to be perfect. And so the B doesn't mean anything, even though a B is a very good grade. So then you are spending your time trying to be perfect. You know, nothing's ever good enough. I didn't do well enough. I need to be perfect. And you're chasing this idea of perfect, which is not possible.
0: Well, our parents maybe weren't that great coaches, you know. (laughs) it's hard being a a coach sometimes so let me ask you this question so does that mean then that our parents can possibly and teachers i mean because teachers are humans right i mean so we (laughs) gotta put them in the same category of having the same flaws and inadequacies of anybody else that's a human being but what i'm wondering is can they project their own imposter phenomenon onto you
1: well, of course. I mean, I think we all operate within our own kind of paradigm. And what I mean by that is obviously our beliefs, values and our thoughts. And and so we can pass that on subconsciously to the people that we're teaching or parenting or coaching and that kind of thing. So it's really up to us as individuals to be a bit more self-reflective. And to understand how we can turn anything that we've got rolling around in our minds as a negative belief system into something more positive, but we have to be aware of it.
0: I'm not even sure they're doing it unconsciously. I think sometimes they're doing it consciously because it might be generational. That's how they were taught by their folks. And then they were turning around and teaching you the best way they know how, which is how they were brought up and how they were taught. And so it's just the thing just keeps on going through the generations. I can see that, you know, possibly happening, right?
1: Yeah, of course. People, as I say, you operate in your paradigm. So if that's what you know, you're only going to pass on what you know. Because I've seen it where
0: people would say things like, well, that's for those people. We're not those kinds of people, Mm -hmm. you know. And
1: that's unconscious bias. though. That's what you're talking about there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But they're injecting that into their kids. They're proud of it.
1: Yeah. But that's unconscious bias. So, I mean, if you're not conscious of the fact that you're projecting a bias thought process onto others, then you're not conscious of it. You You have to become aware and conscious of those things. The same way that when you're experiencing. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess I
0: know you're right because you're the expert but I'm not sure that they aren't doing it consciously. They just don't know what they're doing.
1: That's the definition of unconscious, is it not?
0: Yeah, yeah, but let's see. How do I put this? So can you do something deliberately and it still be
1: unconscious? Well, no, that's the opposite of unconscious. Right, that's what
0: I'm trying to say. So I don't know, maybe it's a cultural thing in the United States or something, but... There are certain demographics and psychographics of people out there who they want to keep their family in the same mm-hmm.
1: sort of. Process. We can't possibly know what people are thinking Socio- or why they're acting the way they're acting. We can't. I think
0: the, the what I was trying to figure out there, and I finally got it clicked in my brain: socioeconomic status.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay, I'm satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it fascinating. What do you do about it?
1: What do you do about it? Well, I mean, there's basically three steps that you could take to help you with your imposter syndrome. So we've got to remember that imposter syndrome is when we believe that we're not as talented, capable, knowledgeable, or as smart as other people seem to think that we are. That's the definition of imposter syndrome. And these feelings exist because despite the fact that we've got all these successes and accomplishments behind us, right? So we tend... to to make like these statements about why we're successful. We explain it instead of internalizing like our own successes. So we might put it down to luck or timing, or maybe, you know, the simplicity of the task. Like if I can get a PhD, anyone can get a PhD, which is obviously not true. Mm -hmm. Or we might say it's because I've got help, I knew someone on the inside or simply because people like me, right? So these are all the kind of excuses we might make. Ways to kind of combat it, first of all, we need to normalize the experience because like I said before, 70% of people do experience imposter syndrome at one time or another. So it is around you all the time. You can guarantee you could have a conversation with someone and they will say, oh yes, I felt that too. So it's very common. So normalizing it and breaking the silence by talking about it with others is a really great first step, but we also don't want to get stuck here, right? So we we want to voice our feelings, but also understand where they come from. And that is to understand that there's different sources of imposter syndrome. So I, I touched on one before, which was family dynamics. The other sources of imposter syndrome are the confidence gap. So it's well documented that there's a confidence gap between people who identify as men and people who identify as women. So it's understanding the difference between confidence and competence, that quite often women do spend a lot of time getting you know, more credentialed, more experienced to feel more competent, but we're already competent full stop. We just need to focus on also how we can project and feel confidence, even when we don't always feel it. Other kind of sources of imposter syndrome are like occupational, situational factors as well, like where we work. For example, if you are a woman of color and you work in a predominantly white company, you may feel like you don't belong. You're a bit of an outsider. So there's those kind of factors that come into how and why you might experience imposter syndrome. Might be the field that you're working into, like I mentioned, actors before, creative fields, people who work in creative fields quite often do experience imposter syndrome because, you know, what you're doing is very kind of subjective in terms of opinions. So you're reviewed on a subjective basis rather than a factual basis. So other people's opinions about your work can hit you quite hard and you can leave. I actually saw something today about a British actress who's on Coronation Street. Your your audience probably wouldn't know what Coronation Street is, but she was talking about the fact that she only entered the acting field at a later age, 1920, whereas a lot of other people do it a lot earlier. And she felt like every time she went on and delivered her acting piece, she would come off afterwards and go, oh, my gosh, people are going to find out I don't really know what I'm doing every single time. So that's where it can really pop up. And of course, there's other industries where you might feel imposter syndrome, like if you work in science, technology, engineering, or medicine, you know, all the fields where we can't possibly keep up as human beings, but we think that we should, and other competitive fields as well as industries that fuel self-doubts.
0: It's interesting. Are there any health side effects to having this?
1: Yeah, it has been directly linked with stress, anxiety, and depression, Because obviously, if you are consistently, I mean, some of the results of feeling impulsive syndrome is that you may hold back in your career. You might hold back from speaking up, sharing your ideas, which is going to prevent you from moving ahead in your career, kind of flying under the radar, because you don't want people to know that you don't really know what you're talking about. And you may kind of, you know, engage in perfectionism. And so that might result as overworking or overpreparing and chronic procrastination. So if we are holding back on completing our work because we're essentially telling ourselves we're not good enough or it's hard, it's big and it's hard and I'm going to have to you know, do something that's kind of unpleasant, then we're going to sabotage our own success. So yeah, procrastination so, is an output as well.
0: So we have a lot of executives and a lot of entrepreneurs that have businesses that have people that work for them. So I'm an executive in a company, and I think possibly one of my reports has imposter phenomenon. What do I do?
1: Well, first of all, you've got to understand what makes you think that they have imposter syndrome. Well, it just seems
0: like every time I give them a bigger project, they wait to the last minute, and they're never totally confident in what they're going to say. Those are just a couple of things that I've noticed.
1: So obviously you start with talking to them. Like what is it that's holding well, you back? Well, I tried I
0: tried to ask them, you know, I tried talking to them and they always have an excuse about why they didn't start earlier or something along that. I mean, they, they don't seem to want to talk about it. So what do I do?
1: Well, I can't advise on a conversation of somebody I don't know. I can give you tips. So the tips are, give me a talk couple about it. Yeah. Yeah, talk about it. So we obviously we're discussing that now. I mean, you can only understand the person from where they're at. And so potentially you could say, you know, sometimes I felt like I don't really know what I'm doing and talk about the fact that you may have yourself experienced imposter syndrome and give an example that helps them highlight maybe how their behaviors are coming across to you so that they don't feel like you're attacking them because that puts people on the defense if you share a personal story about how you may have experienced something similar it's going to help them open up right that's relationship Mm -hmm. that's developing relationship and rapport helps them to feel more comfortable then they may drop their guard and say yeah actually i feel a little bit of that too right so first of all you're building rapport you're opening it up and you're sharing experiences There's one way. The other way is like if they tell you then, you know, what's kind of going on, and I can't obviously speak to specifics, but help them to reframe those thoughts. So, say, for example, I said, well, I don't want to do it because, you know, I want it to be perfect. I'm not sure I can get it perfect. You say, well, no one gets anything perfect. That's okay. Reassure them and just give them the kind of reframes that look, just do your best. That's all you can do. And it's good enough. And then give it to me. I'll help you perfect it or whatever. We'll get it to a place. But all you can do is try your best and just start. Gotcha. You know, at the end of the day, remind people that in order for us to become more confident in something, We have to do it. We have to do the thing that we are not confident in. We must take action, right? So confidence is a skill. It's a skill that we build up and it comes from taking action. So no one gets it right the first time. We don't master things immediately. We have to be really clear about the fact that that's how learning works And we all have to go through a process of learning, failing, stumbling, adversity, that kind of thing. That's how we learn. That's literally what the learning process is. So knowing and feeling confident that everybody goes through that and that's okay. So building confidence comes from taking action and we have to be willing to kind of stumble here and there.
0: We're visiting with Rachel Lowndes, and she is an imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon, I suppose, (laughs) expert, and we'll tell you how you can learn more about her and her practice and all the other things that she has going on in just a second. First of all, though, Rachel, we ask every guest who comes on the show these 12 rapid fire questions that we are going to ask you, and are you ready? Okay, go. All right, here we go. Number one, what is the best memory that immediately comes to mind right now for you?
1: Best memory? hmm The time I went to Ireland to watch Oasis, and we crashed a car in Wales on the way. Gotcha. Who's the number one hero in your life? Who's the number one? My cousin, Martin. What's the top
0: value you subscribe to? Freedom of choice. Who's the most important person in your life? Me. That's a I I love that answer. What's your favorite thing? Tennis. Good. What's your favorite food?
1: Japanese.
0: Most beautiful place you've ever visited?
1: Oh, Jarvis Bay in New South Wales. If you could describe success in one
0: word, what would the word be? Freedom of choice. How do you want to be remembered?
1: For being... Sunny, warm, and funny.
0: If you could go back and give some advice to a younger Rachel, what advice would you give her? Just try. What's your favorite sound? Birds, Bird song. All right, so out of all the lessons you've learned in your life, what's the best lesson you've learned?
1: The best lesson I've learned is that don't worry about what other people think about you because they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And so give everybody
0: your stuff here. How do they find you? What's your website? How do they find your podcast? All that stuff.
1: So if anyone wants to find me, my website is rachellounds.com.au. Lounds is spelled L-O-U-N-D-S, like pounds with an L. And My podcast is Leading Ladies Who Lunch. We're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, so you can find us there. We've just launched the first three episodes. The fourth episode is coming out at the end of this month. You can also find me on Instagram at Rachel Lowndes and our podcast, Instagram at Leading Ladies Who Lunch.
0: Wonderful. We'll come back sometime. There's a whole lot more we can learn from you, I'm sure, about all of this stuff about imposters and
1: Oh yeah, we haven't even touched on some on the five types yet. So we yeah. need to do a one. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do a
0: follow-up <laughs> later on. I'll I'll get with you and we'll get that, okay? Amazing Rachel, Rachel Lowndes, everybody direct from Australia and check out her podcast and check out her website and all that stuff. And I'll have more on better than before here in just a sec. I hope you enjoyed that discussion today. We will post her contact information and how you can get in touch with her and her website and all that here in the show notes. And follow Rachel for more information on how to battle imposter syndrome and other great tips. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4. You can go to our website, com. You can find all our episodes of Better Than Before. Going on our seventh year of putting out great content. There's 20 years worth of my writing there. And you can sign up for my weekly memo that I send out every Monday. It's called the Monday Morning Memo. And on our homepage, there's a place where you can just enter your email address, push the button, and bam, you're subscribed, and you'll get my memo every single Monday morning in your inbox. Special thanks, as always, to our producer, Tessa Hall. And until we visit again next week here on the Better Than Before show on the C-Suite Radio Network, I'm your host, Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.